This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of the No Name Never Football Show and Podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Bromley, and this week I'm joined by Charlotte and Tom as we look back on another fantastic week in this incredible season for Burnley Football Club. We started on Saturday at Turf Moor as the Clarets completely steamrolled over Huddersfield to win 4-0 and go an incredible 17 points clear of third place in the Championship. They're also 12 points clear of Sheffield United in second, and it looks like an immediate return to the Premier League. Then on Wednesday night, the Clarets were at home to Fleetwood Town in the fifth round of the FA Cup, um, securing victory and a quarter-final place for the first time in over 20 years. That was immediately marred, I think, by the draw being not exactly favourable for the Clarets, and it's another trip to the Etihad to meet Vincent Company and Pep Guardiola for the first time as managers in opposition dugouts. Doesn't look like the Clarets will get to Wembley, but here's hoping. So let's carry straight on and look at this week's show. And indeed, let us jump straight in then and start off with that absolutely scintillating 4-0 victory at home against Huddersfield at the weekend. The Clarets absolutely on fire. Um, Tom, just to kick us off generally, I don't remember seeing football like that, if ever, in my lifetime uh, by a Burnley side. It was utter joy to watch. Do you know, it was the closest I think we'll ever get to feeling like you're a Man City fan or a Man United fan. Or <laughs> it's like you turn up and you just like, you know we're going to win today. I think we were like four to one on before kickoff. You thought we're definitely going to win. Said to my dad, once we get that first goal, that's game over. And it was about five minutes. And then it, it was just like exhibition stuff. It was unbelievable. I mean, not a lot to say about Huddersfield, but then they looked like the Burnley to our Man City. You know, they turned up. They knew they were going to get battered before they even set foot on the pitch. They played like a team who just were overawed by a much, much superior side. We played some superb stuff. It was like, yeah, it was like Harlem Globetrotters one year. It was just fantastic. It was probably that first half. Might it might be the best I've ever seen Burnley play, and it's a big call out. I've been to a lot of games, you know, down the years, but I think that might be the best half of football I've ever seen a Burnley team play. Unbelievable. 
Yeah, it really was. It's interesting you should talk about Harlem Globetrotters. Um, I have just been given um, uh, uh, tickets to uh, go and see the Harlem Globetrotters at Manchester. And I'm super, super excited because I've literally never seen them. And uh, yeah, they're coming to Manchester Arena. So that was just a really weird thing that you should have met that reference. Harlem Globetrotters, twice in one non and ever podcast. How amazing. Um, Charlotte, let's have a look at the stats then from the game itself. 4-0 victory, four different goal scorers, either Zorori or Bonds. I'm not even sure we've decided who gets it yet, but one of the two of them. Connor Roberts, Josh Brownhill and Obafemi all on the score sheet. Takes us to 14 games unbeaten, 31 consecutive games that we have scored in crucially for the terms of the season itself, takes us 19 points clear of third place and 12 points clear of Sheffield United in second. It's an inevitable return to the Premier League for Burnley now, probably as champions. What was the most pleasing thing for you, irrespective of all of those stats, which quite frankly are just jumping off us at the moment, what was the most pleasing thing for you about Saturday's game? I think the style of the goals was definitely mm. fantastic. Some of those goals that we saw on Saturday were absolutely sublime. I think it was the Roberts one. I can't remember the exact number of passes, around 25 or something like that. It starts 24. from the goalkeeper. Yeah. 24, there the we are. was the 24th starting pass. The keeper. Yeah, starting from the keeper and getting up the pitch. And that, not quite final pass, but the one from um, Ekdal there into the into Goodmanson's feet and then knocking it on to Connor Roberts. I thought it was absolutely fantastic. Just being able to watch something like that was the most pleasing part of it for me I was a little I felt like we took our foot off the gas a little bit at one point I thought oh that's yeah. really annoying it's only four could be like seven you know <laughs> it'd be more enjoyable but um you know you can't really blame him for taking the foot off the gas a bit when you fall nil off I don't think uh, but no it was just fantastic to watch some of the style of the goals that we had and I, I always love it when Brownie gets on the score sheet as well I think he's a oh, somewhat seen as um an underestimated part of the team and he gets a bit of stick throughout the season from various people on Twitter, I know. Um, so it was great to see him get on the score sheet as well because you can see it means a lot to him. Yeah, it, it gets it, does Brownie as well. I, I do love it. Um, I mean, you're absolutely right. The, the, it was the attacking nature of the football that was just the most insane part of it. Um, the Clarets enjoying 85% of possession in the first half, which had been reduced a little bit in the second half down to a mere 72% of possession. Um, it's probably the most attacking threat I've ever seen us play. But Tom, there was another aspect of the game which was even more impressive, and that was the return of Jordan Bayer at right at centre-half, sorry, who slotted back in and that partnership with Ekdal. I never thought that I'd ever get over losing the Holy Trinity of Nick Port, Ben Mee and James Tarkovsky in our defence. But the new Holy Trinity of our sweeper, Murich, with Jordan Bayer and Ekdal is now my new favourite. I'm, I'm over. I'm over the old Holy Trinity. That's an incredible defence. It's, uh, you know, at the time it was a bit of a sickness to lose so many players and you know, especially not getting any money for Ben Mee and, and James Sarkovsky. You know, brilliant players for us over a long period of time. But it what it did do is it gave us an opportunity, you know, to to really rebrand ourselves. And I think yeah. everyone would agree, you know, the style of football is just completely different from what it was. You know, I'm not I don't mean that as a criticism of of the previous uh, regime because I, I, we had some great years under that. I did enjoy it, but the yeah it's given company you know the opportunity to bring in his his kind of players his kind of goalie his kind of defenders and 
you know, you, you were reaping the rewards at the minute. That, as you said, the, the kind of attacking football that we've got, it starts from the back. You know, the keeper is, uh, is has got a range of passing that's probably beat half of our midfield from last season. And those centre-halves, uh, I think company said himself, you know, that the full-backs were like playing as wingers, the centre-halves were playing as midfielders. And it, it was, I said to me, it reminded me a little bit of, you know, sometimes when England play that like Andorra or, or teams like that, and, and Gareth Southgate plays two holding midfielders and they, and it's so slow and pedestrian. And I thought it was brilliant to see, you know, when you're up against a team that is just going to sit there and not try and attack and, and just wait to be beaten. It was amazing to see, you know, how you can utilise those defensive players that you don't really need, you know. So he rested Cork so we didn't have two sitting midfielders. And, you know, you don't need two centre-halves against Huddersfield or Fleetwood because these teams aren't even attacking you. So yeah. the centre-half turned into midfielders, you know. You've got Connor Roberts popping up in the six-yard box to, to, to score tap-ins, you know, from full-back. And it, I, I love the way they utilise that. It's, it's, it's almost like every player is a midfielder in that system, and uh, and it's great to watch, and and it's producing results as well. So yeah, and I think Bayer, as you as you mentioned, is is such a key part of that. Taylor's been a great serve, and I thought he played well last night. But in terms of football inability, he's just not on the level of Bayer or uh, or Ekdal. He's just not comfortable on the ball. And those two are the good defenders, but they're so good with the ball at the feet as well. Yeah. Every time Bayer gets it, you know, it used to be the old, uh, when I was a kid, every time Glenn Little got the ball, it's, it's get, go on Glenn, skinny, skinny. And now it's like, <laughs> it's, it's go on Jordan, skinny. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. You Brilliant want him to do that charge forward, don't you, down the middle where he just brushes them aside and it's like, yeah. oh! and like you say, the old Burnley, we used to just be, where are we going? Get back, get back. But now we're egging them on and making them go forward. Um, Charlotte, one question um which has divided fans on social media this week after the game and this is a great debate to be having because it's usually much more negative things that, that divide our fans how man of the match for the game would you have given it to jbg or do you think there was another player on the pitch who maybe deserved it more i i think there's multiple players we could have given it to on on saturday i think jbg is fantastic he always is um, personally, I think Cullen is absolutely brilliant every game as well. Yes. Um, and he probably would have been my man of the match if I if I was choosing one. But that's not a discredit to any of the other players on the team. It's extremely difficult to be able to choose it, um, which is a fantastic problem to have when you can't choose uh, yeah. the best player on there. Um, but yeah, I think either Cullen or, or Bayer would have got it for me. Um, but I, like I said, no discredit to the rest of them. I don't know. I, I haven't seen too much of the debate on Twitter. I haven't been on as much this weekend. But um, we'll have to see what other people are saying. Uh, and I don't like to disagree with when they award it too much. I don't like it when they announce it like while they're still playing. That can give me slight Oh, really? Anxiety. Yeah. Well, I think you're going to jinx like them. Jinx. Massive <laughs> jinx vibes there. Especially when they announced it on Saturday and JBG literally had the ball at his feet. I was like, oh no, here we go. What are we going to do now? But no, I don't like that part of it. But everything else, having the problem of who choosing who's the best, that's allowed to happen. Just, yeah, don't jinx us. That's hilarious. There's There's been some prime contenders for this on in the history of the Known and Ever podcast and football show, but I genuinely think you might be our most nervous ever analyst. It's hilarious. I do love it. Um, yes. Yeah, <laughs> Very superstitious. <laughs> One of the things that we are going to be looking at going forward is uh, a slightly different angle on the football show, and that is to have a look back on the last month and have a quick review over our three talking points. I'm going to select three different areas um, from just generally around the club and put it to our panel to see what their views are. 
got three talking points coming out of our performances in February. I'm going to go to Tom first with our number one. And this is taking some inspiration from the great Neil Warnock. Talking point number one, Tom. Is Burnley the best championship side in the last 25 years? Which is the claim that Neil Warnock made. Well, it's... uh... It's not a bad sort of, in terms of experience of the championship in the last 20, 25 years, there can't be many people who've been more involved than him. So that's a nice thing to hear from him. I suppose what you would say is uh, it's it's easier to say that when your team's just been uh, absolutely battered. It, True. it does make me sound a little bit better when you uh, when you talk up the opposition. Um, I think we have to be up there. We have to be in the conversation. Um, it's always quite difficult to, to compare teams across certain areas at the Reading team, obviously, 106 points is, is a big talking point at the minute. Are we going to beat that total? And and just in terms of pure points um, and some of the players that they had in that team, obviously, Glenn Little, we've already mentioned, being one of them, uh, that was a great side. You know, Fulham last year, I think they won, they have two or three seven nil wins, including one at Ewood Park. So that's pretty impressive. Um, Wolves, when they won it a few years ago, when they had all those Portuguese players they brought in, they had a great side. But we're in the conversation for sure. And I think until we get to the end of the season, um, difficult to say for sure. Um, I think if we get within touch and distance of that 106 points, we're, we're definitely going to have to be talked about. And I think the style of football that we, we're playing this season and the, the ease with which we're winning some of these games, I, yeah, I think you could very easily make a case for us. And I think there's probably quite a few neutrals who would as well. It's not just ourselves. Yeah, I think most people who have maybe debated whether or not Neil Warnock was correct in what he was saying, um, there's a few clubs out there that could certainly stake a claim. Reading being the obvious one, they are currently the holders of the most points target ever, so we've got to get over 106 to beat them. Um, Nunes, Wolves side, Bielsa's lead side, and um, that Newcastle side as well. Um, all It wasn't Eddie Howe's Newcastle side at the time. I can't remember who was the manager in charge. But they all had particularly strong championship seasons as well when they got promoted. So there's a few contenders in there. But I would genuinely like to think that this particular Burnley side is up there with that Reading side. I feel like it could be between the two of us. Talking point number two from February, and there's only one of our panellists this evening that this could go to. Also taking inspiration from Neil Warnock and his post-Huddersfield press conference, he claims that we've got Ashley Barnes playing like Pele. So talking point number two to you, Charlotte, who is better, Ashley Barnes or Pele? I absolutely knew what was coming then when you said there's only one person <laughs> that I was going to. I thought, I know what comment we're going to be discussing here. Um, well, it's quite obviously Ashley Barnes, if I'm being completely honest. There's no <laughs> debate. Anyone that says differently knows nothing about football. Um, and I won't hear anything less. No, he's been fantastic. And he has been brilliant. And it's a funny comparison to make, isn't it? That's the type of guy that wanted kids. It's a funny thing to say. Um, but I don't want a, the humour of it to take away from the fact that he has been fantastic. And he's an absolute pleasure to watch as well at the moment. And I can wax lyrical about Ashley Barnes also. All season, as you've already seen, even when he wasn't playing that well, I was still saying he's the best player on the pitch. So when he's actually playing well and I actually have something to back it up, I could go on for hours and hours Smugness. and hours. And you, yeah, you'd all have to sit here for ages and listen to me about, oh, you should have listened to what I was saying five months ago, you know. But I think he's been absolutely brilliant and it's a pleasure to see him really, really taking strides in this. And it, it, it could be quite, quite seriously like his last 
really season where he's playing like that, where he has that kind of involvement, especially for in our team as well. Um, even if they do give him a contract extension, I don't imagine it's going to be seen as much football. It might be to focus more on his coaching side. We know yeah. he's really interested in that part. So to be able to fly through this half of the season like he is, and it really, really commend him really for doing that. And he knows best than anyone that he's probably coming towards the end of his playing career at this type of level. And he knows that better than anyone. He hasn't let that stop him. He wants to go out with a bang for sure. Yeah, definitely. I think I think the most impressive thing for me is that I've never questioned Ashley Barnes' work rate. He's always given everything to the club and he's always worked incredibly hard. But what's p- been particularly impressive for me recently has been just the different variations that he's gone through and the different... He's like Doctor Who of football. Like Every single time we write him off, he goes through that turf mortardis and comes out in a different form and just adapts to whatever is asked of him. And I genuinely thought, I'll hold my hand up, I, I've, I've said this publicly, I genuinely thought that this would be one um, transformation too many for him in the stage of career that he's at and the demands that Vincent Company's football would put on somebody who's, let's be honest, hasn't always technically been, sorry, hasn't been known as a good technical player, um, but he's done exactly that. So he is, he's very much earned a right to stay on at the club post-retirement and earn his coaching role there, so I do hope they do that. Yeah, for definite. I definitely hope they keep him on in some kind of coaching role, just so I get to see him every week again. <laughs> oh, slightly biased. That's not not you know for no other reason other than to to keep Charlotte happy. For sure. And final talking point from February number three. We are back to Tom with this one. Um, Rumours are circulating over in the national press that Burnley do in fact have um, a sale option for Jordan Bayer. Um, when his loan contract comes to an end, if we are promoted to the Premier League, an option to purchase at €3 million. So the talking point for you, Tom, have Burnley pulled off the heist of the century? Do you know, I was reading um, an an interview with, I think it's Munchen Gladbach he's on loan from. Yes. Their sporting director saying, you know, we'd like him back, but, um, you know, we understand that he might leave. And he said... uh, if you know if he does go, then the, the the millions of pounds we'll get for him will be a bit of will soften the blow a little bit. So I was thinking, well, you know, a player like him, they, they must have put a big old clause in there. You know, it's gonna it's gonna take a lot of money to prize him away. And then when I heard three million euros, I was just like, it's just be. unbelievable. Can't be surely. <laughs> the business we've done is when you think you know we got twenty million for McNeil or whatever. In that context, it is. That would just be a ludicrously good bit of business if we got if we could get him for three million. You know, if he wants to if he wants to come and yeah, it's <laughs> it's quite staggering really. I, why they've only put that valuation on him, I don't know. Uh, he's such a good player, fits the system perfectly. He looks ready made to step up to the Premier League, and and that would just be an incredible start to the summer business if we can get him for that sort of price. Yeah. You know, you'd be looking at selling him on for you know five ten times that, wouldn't you? So. Definitely. Yeah, unbelievable. I'd feel I'd almost feel bad for Munchen Gladbach. That's how much of a steal it would be. Yeah, I won't. Given given some of the low transfer fees that some of our star players have gone off on, it's very nice to be on the other side of that for once. Um, forgive me. I know that I read that on Twitter, the highest comment, and in that same tweet, one of our uh, Burnley fans had said that basically it should be the quickest money that Alan Pace ever spends if that is is a deal. Uh, so uh, I'm really sorry, whoever it was who tweeted that, I would name check you if I could find it. So um, thank you for the inspirational text. 
Okay, let's move on because um, round two of our roundup from a week in Claret and Blue is, of course, the excitement tinged by an immediate deflation of Burnley's success in this season's FA Cup. Burnley beating Fleetwood at home on Tuesday night to earn their first quarterfinal appearance in the FA Cup in over 20 years. We were all high as a kite, coming off the ground, celebrating Connor Roberts' 91st-minute cheeky flick into the back of the net when the news of the draw was done live on the radio. First ball out, City away. The remaining seven teams hold their breath and say, no, 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 no. And it comes out. Our, I don't suppose we could have expected any favours from our friend down the road, Alan Shearer. Number eight, Burnley. We have drawn City away in the FA Cup. One game from Wembley and we have got to face Pep. Let's not dwell on that for now. Let's firstly, Charlotte, look at the actual game itself. Not an awful lot to talk about, um, apart from a sending off, which on reflection, maybe looks a little bit harsh. Um, not an awful lot happened in that game to talk about until Connor Roberts scored that goal. Was this literally just a case of an attacking masterclass versus a defensive masterclass loggerheads and somebody had to make a mistake at some point? I think it was very much so. Um, we were battering them with attacking. They were battering us with keeping us out. And it, it's... Not the most exciting of games at the time when that happens, but it's showing two different sides of football that are equally important. I think we focused a lot on what we usually do. We're trying to go through the middle a lot and we were trying to pass it in, almost walk it into the net. Um, and they were just had five men stood in the middle and just waited for us to run to him. And it wasn't working. And I don't think Zahuri were having his best game either. So they couldn't really have that same option out wide that we usually would where we had Zahuri or Benson or someone like that on the end of it that could knock it in and give us a different dimension there. And we were just carrying on hammering, trying to knock at that door right down the middle and it wasn't working. Obviously, we found a way, which is what we seem to be doing at the moment when we can't get um, a result in a different way, which is always fantastic. Um, but that was really where I think we were struggling is that we just we didn't change the game plan with the way that they defended. It was very much we're going to try and get down the middle. And, and they knew that and they had the big guys at the back. And when they had a man sent off, I again thought that it was quite a soft one. I don't know whether he'd said something when he came back up or or whatever, because I can't really see another reason why he's got a red for that that challenge, a yellow, yeah, but not a red. Um, Once they had a man sent off, they went from playing like five men at the back to six men at the back. It was not really, it yeah, didn't it feel tough. like you had any advantage um, because they just threw more men behind the ball. And absolute credit to them, that's the way they needed to play. And they were certainly waiting for, for a set piece or for a corner chance where they could just knock it in. And that's what they were waiting for. And that's the style of football that they need to play against an attacking team like us. So absolute credit. Um, but yeah, it was a few moments when that uh, ball went in. It, it, I think Gosh, it was a bit yeah. of a, a very much a juxtaposition to when he, the goal line clearance, which um, <laughs> my heart sank with that one as well. Um, but it definitely brought me back up when uh, when that goal went in. But yeah, I just think it was two very different styles of football, each a credit to themselves and each doing their style of football very well and blocking the other one out. Yeah, you're right. Um, Tom, as as well as, as Burnley did and as well as, I guess, Fleetwood defended as well, I think we had about 31 shots to their one shot. It was, it was very one-sided football. That said, I, I do think Fleetwood even put up a better fight than Preston did, but that's that's another story for another day. Um, 
I still felt we huffed and puffed a little bit. We, we seemed to create quite a lot of chances, but wasn't quite clicking for us. And what I can't make my mind up is whether it's disjointed side, lots of changes, seven changes, I think, and they'd not played together that regularly. A front two, which particularly one of our front two that it just was not working for, or a combination of both. What do you think was stopping us from maybe scoring the three or four goals that you would expect this Burnley side to score? Yeah, I think it's been a theme in a lot of the cup games against sort of lower league side, Shrewsbury away, Crawley at home. They weren't like processions, Ipswich as well. You know, we did have to sort of dig in and, and grind these teams down. And I think that the rotation is, is a lot to do with it. And I think it's not just the rotation, but I think it's the players that we're bringing in for these rotations as well, especially for this, for this game. And I think you hit the nail on the head there, really, when you mentioned the front three. So it's Obafemi, Foster and, and Swine that we're looking at. None of those three have really had um, starts. Uh, I think all of them are still in their own ways getting to grips with with how we play. Obviously, Twine and Obafemi have had their moments with the late goals. But I think, obviously, Foster's come in for quite a lot of criticism on uh, on social media. And justifiably so in some ways. I don't think he's been that impressive yet. His back-to-goal game doesn't look great. And that's kind of what a lot of what our centre-forwards are doing this season. I think he looks more like a kind of player who wants to play on the shoulder and get a ball over the top. And he's not really found himself in that position too much. And when he has had chances, he's snatched at them. You know, he, he created that chance really well for himself in the first half, robbed the defender, and then he just got his finish all wrong. But I think if it hadn't been for the goals that Twine and Obafemi have scored, and both, uh, obviously, Twine's free kick was fantastic. Obafemi's two goals have, have been sort of tap-ins, really. I don't think they played any better, particularly in the game. I think they're still looking a little bit... Um, not I don't want to say they played badly, but they're not quite at the level that some of the starters, you know, they're not quite at the level of Teller or or Barnes or Zorori are in this team. And it took, you know, it took Benson Zorori a while to get into it. Um, and I'm sure they'll come good. And, and it's only by playing regular football that you can really get into that rhythm. And I think the fact that they're coming in and out, playing an hour here and there, uh, that's just, that's why it's not clicking yet. But at some point it will. And, um, well, let's hope so anyway, especially where Foster's concerned. I don't worry too much about Twine. Obafemi to me, uh, he's not really he's not he's a centre forward, really, isn't he? And every time he comes on, he's, he's playing wide right, doesn't really seem to be his position. So reserving judgment on him a bit. And I think with Foster, I'll be interested to see what he's like once he gets that goal. Because I think the longer it drags on, the, and especially with the transfer fee we paid for him, the more people are starting to question him. But I think if he gets one, then he'll 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 be up and running and, and he could go on a bit of a run from there. Fingers crossed anyway. Yeah, fingers crossed. Um, turning to the draw itself, Charlotte, the million-dollar question. Vincent Company versus Pep, Apprentice versus Master. This is absolutely the tie of the round from a media perspective. I already know will be the primetime TV game, whatever that looks like, and we will. the build-up will be, we know what it's going to be. From a footballing perspective, do we have any hope of beating City to get to Wembley? There's always hope. Ugh. I I was very much the same when that name came, when the ball came out, I was like, not number eight, not number eight, not number eight, number eight. Oh no. And then I had 10 minutes to think about it. And I went, maybe it's because I've had a good experience at the Etihad where we were 2-0 down at half time, came back through 2-2. It felt like a win. It was absolutely fantastic. They were writing us off at half time, 8-9-0. 
And it was a brilliant day. It was a draw, but then we beat them the same season at home. We took four points off them in one season. I've been City away every season since then, so I've seen us get beat absolutely battered by them. But it's, I've been seeing, oh, we were, you know, we were one game away from Wembley. We're still one game away from Wembley. There's supposedly easier and harder teams in a round, but Grimsby and Southampton, Sheffield United and Spurs, this cup run this year, there's been a lot of shockers in there. There's a lot yeah. of big teams that are already out that we weren't expecting to be out at this stage. The Liverpools, the Chelsea's, they're not in there. There's so much that can happen. And I feel like Vincent Company, it's going to be a big game for him as well, you know, going back. And I feel like he will get a good reception from them. But at the same time, we know from these cup games recently when he's been playing lower league, he has been making those changes. I don't think he will. Well, I hope he won't. I hope he will go out there with a full throttle team and just try it. And you know what? Play the style of football we're playing. Don't take a step back because of the opposition. Play, attack, go for it. And at the end of the day, if we get battered 5-0, 6-0, 7-0, you know, we could break a new record. We get battered, but at least we've given it a go and you've got to have some hope. And I absolutely cannot wait. Well, I've got no comeback on that. I, I genuinely don't. I think I'm going to leave it at that because there's nothing else to say. There, there speaketh the word of Charlotte Rigby and we are going to the quarter, the semi-finals at Wembley of the FA Cup. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Picture the scene. All of your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Let's leave it there and let's now look forward because, of course, we've always got another game. That's the nature of the championship and we are going to be looking ahead to the Clarets' next fixture. And that new fixture is, of course, another Lancashire derby. It's Blackpool away, Saturday the 4th of March, a 3pm kickoff. Before we get into the nitty-gritty of that fixture, we, of course, have a quiz question which we need to give you the answer to. Prior to that Huddersfield game, Statman Dave asked you the following question. Other than Jimmy McElroy and Ashley Barnes, who have both scored for Burnley in 10 or more consecutive calendar years... Can you name the other five Burnley players who have scored for the club in nine consecutive calendar years since the Second World War? Now, spoiler alert, we did not get anybody who got all five names right. And I think this one stumped a lot of our listeners. Um, Charlotte, Tom, did either of you have any of the names on this list at all? No, I could have had a guess, but maybe one. Glenn was one guess that I thought, but I, I couldn't I couldn't think of any to be honest. No. Charlotte, none for you. No, I'm really rubbish at quiz questions. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I Google is my friend when it comes to quiz questions. Um the answers were Brian Pilkington, Gordon Harris, Andy Lockhead, Frank Casper, and Paul Fletcher. I didn't get any of those. Not a single one. Yeah, uh, I well, got any of them. 
Yeah, me neither. Uh, listeners, you don't need to wait very long for the quiz question. You simply need to hang around until the end of the show where Dave will be setting you another quiz question for this week. Let's now start our championship preview then. And we are heading over to the preview studio where resident statistician Dave Roberts is going to give you the championship head to head. Blackpool and Burnley have spent 59 league seasons together, and almost half of those, 28, have been in the second tier. So with 27 previous away games at this level to choose from, we're going to have to be relatively selective. Burnley picked up five away victories at Blackpool from 14 visits prior to the First World War. Those wins were by a 1-0 scoreline in December 1900, an emphatic 5-0 win in February 1904, a 1-0 win in April 1906 and a narrow 3-2 victory in March 1910, with virtually the last kick of the game, when Billy Lomas prodded home the winner. The fifth of those five wins prior to the First World War was in March 1913. Despite an early penalty miss from Tommy Boyle, Eddie Mosscrop and Bert Freeman scored the only goals in a 2-0 away win. We made four further second-tier trips to the Fylde Coast between the two World Wars, but Burnley managed just one draw by a 1-1 scoreline in March 1934 before losing the next three in a row. We then moved forward to the 1970s, and after a disappointing 4-2 defeat on April Fool's Day 1972, we made our next visit the following season on Boxing Day 1972. That match saw the dismissals of two Blackpool players, Kevin Tully and Terry Alcock, in the second half and Burnley eventually won the match 2-1. There were two further second-tier visits to Bloomfield Road later in the 1970s, and both of those ended as 1-1 draws in April 1977 and March 1978. The home side reduced 10 men in the second of those matches, with a dismissal of Stan McEwen. All of the remaining five matches on our list were since the turn of the millennium, Burnley suffered a disappointing 3-0 defeat on New Year's Day 2008, but there was a memorable victory in our 2008-2009 promotion season, in conditions that were so blustery that there were real doubts about whether the match would be abandoned. That match was in March 2009, and eventually the Clarets won 1-0 thanks to a goal from Christian Calvanez, which earned us a vital three points in our promotion push. We suffered the disappointment of a heavy 4-0 defeat in April 2012 and lost again, this time by a 1-0 scoreline in April 2013, when Ludovic Sylvestre scored the only goal for the Tangerines. Our most recent visit to the seaside was another memorable match on Good Friday 2014, but we're going to tell you a little bit more about that particular game in a little while, when we bring you our memory match feature. So, Burnley's overall away record in second-tier away games against Blackpool is as follows. Played 27, won 8, drawn 6 and lost 13. Burnley's goal tally in those games is 23, with 34 against. And of course, none of our preview shows would be complete without the first of our features, which is to rate our opposition's celebrity fans. Blackpool are next up on this. Before we get into Dave's shortlist, do either of you have any obvious celebrity Blackpool fans that you would have put on there? Does the tower count? Can't think of anybody else. The tower, as in Blackpool <laughs> Tower. 
<laughs> Pepsi Max. <laughs> okay. You never know. I'm, I'm going to say no. I'm going to say no. Well, let's let's jump straight in here and let you know who Dave picked as their celebrity shortlist. Number one on the list, Graham Kelly, former football administrator. Coming in at number two, Stephen Croft, the cricketer, long-serving Lancashire all-rounder. This has been a good one for Rich Steele. Uh, number three, Bill Beaumont, former rugby player and question of sport captain. Coming in at number four, Brian Rolls, the boxer. At number five, Nikki Sanderson, actress, famous for roles in Coronation Street, Heartbeat and Hollyoaks. And in at number six, Mike Melody, the TV antiques expert. Now, apparently there were other several other celebrities from the town of Blackpool, but most are either affiliated with other clubs or do not express any tangerine tendencies. The time has come where we have to give our celebrity fans a rating. That's a pretty poor list, is that one, Charlotte? I think our lowest score right now is a three, and we've gone right up to a nine. Where are you putting our Blackpool celebrity fans, please, in Dave's out of ten rating? Uh, I think <laughs> the relegation zone in the Ooh. championship and and in the uh, the celebrity fans list then as well. Uh, they would have done better if the towel was on there. Sorry. <laughs> I used to I used to quite fancy Nikki Sanderson when she was in Coronation Street. So because of that, I'll give them a two. I'm being generous wow. there. Goodness me, Charlotte, what are you doing? I hardly know any of them, so I'll give them a strong one. Wow, Blackpool fans, <laughs> I cannot apologise enough, but you are given absolutely no helping from your Lancashire neighbours whatsoever. I cannot give you a one. I feel like the Red Rose needs to somehow stand for something. I'm going to go with Tom and give you a two. But I'm sorry to say that as at today's date, you are currently bottom of our celebrity fan leaderboard with a two. So apologies. Let's move on before we start getting Blackpool fans shouting at us for our celebrity rating. We are heading back over to the preview show studio where Dave Roberts is going to give us this week's memory match. This week's memory match took place on a sunny late afternoon in April 2014. It was Good Friday, the 18th of April, and the Clarets were in town looking for another win to help the push towards the automatic promotion places. The Sky Sports cameras were there for the 5.15pm kickoff. Almost 2,200 Burnley fans had made the trip in a crowd of just over 16,000, and following some pre-match protests from the home supporters, the match was disrupted in the 53rd minute, when tennis balls and tangerines were thrown onto the pitch by home supporters, who were making their opinions heard about the club's owners, the Oyston family. In the end, it took one moment of sublime brilliance at one end, and another piece of magnificent defending at the other to ensure that the Clarets came away from the foul coast with all three points. The only goal came in the 49th minute from the boot of Michael Kitely, who played a 1-2 with Dean Marnie before cutting inside and sending a sublime curling left-footed shot past Blackpool goalkeeper Matt Jilks. At the other end, it took a header over the bar from Kieran Trippier in stoppage time to preserve the slender lead, and Sean Dyche's relentless clarets had done it again, recording an 11th away win of the season. With Blackpool struggling for survival towards the bottom of the table and Burnley seemingly on their way back to the Premier League, the Burnley fans were heard to sing, We'll never play you again. However, Blackpool did manage to survive that season, 
but since then have suffered the drop to League 1 and then again down to League 2 before fighting their way back up to the Championship. Back in 2014 though, Burnley still had three matches left to play, but a home win against Wigan Athletic just three days later on the Easter Monday sealed a much-deserved promotion back to the Premier League with two games to spare. We don't have an opposition view this week for you, I'm afraid to say. Blackpool fans were also very shy this week. So we're going to head straight back over now and, of course, give you some details of the referee. The referee for this week's game is the aptly named Sheffield-based referee Tom Brammel. He will take charge of our match at the seaside on Saturday afternoon. His only previous Burnley match was earlier this season when we visited Vicarage Road way back in August now for just one of three defeats we have suffered in all competitions so far this campaign. He sent off Watford's Hassan Kamara in that match. Hassan, is that how you pronounce it? Hassan? Hassan Kamara? Apologies. Um, in that match, which finished 1-0 to the home side and he also showed one yellow card for each team. This was one of just two red cards that he has shown so far this season in all of his matches. Tom, let's head over to you. What are you expecting from the Clarets away at the weekend? We've been saying a lot this season that if you can get a point away from home and win your home games, that's pretty good form. But just given this Claret side and the league positions, uh, we should be going there to expect more, shouldn't we? Yeah, I think uh, Blackpool are having a poor season. They've brought Mick McCarthy in, obviously hoping that he's going to drag them out of the relegation zone and it doesn't seem to be working so far. I think they'll be quite defensive. I think I think they'll probably be approaching this game in a similar way that Neil Warnock did, which is just let's try and keep the score down and uh, and let's move on and play some games that we can actually win. I'll I'll be very surprised if we don't if we don't put a couple of goals past them and I'll be very surprised if, if they get anything out of the game. To be honest, without wanting to sound uh, spoiled, um, I'll be pretty disappointed if we're not coming away from this one with a win because I think we're just a lot better than Blackpool are. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, Charlotte, because of last night's FA Cup fixture, we haven't yet got any injury news or team news um, ahead of recording the preview show. A uh, couple that we are keeping an eye on, Ian Matson, of course, very much put a, a dampener on that Huddersfield victory going off with what looked like quite a nasty uh, shoulder injury. He's since confirmed on Instagram that he is fine. He's been in training. He's not got any um, strapping on there or anything like that. So we think he might be okay. Um, and as Sorori went off last night with what looked like a, a sore ankle, as he again walked off the long way around as well to, to the to the game. Um, let's let's look at this from a worst case scenario. If both of those are out and neither of them make it, what effect does that on of our team and on our chances of success? I don't think it has a massive effect. I think Sorori has been a, a little bit off it recently by his yeah. terms. That means he's still a fantastic player, but he's not he's not been at the levels that he has been recently. Um, so whether that gives him a bit of a kick up the bum and it gets him sorted again, that might be a good thing. Um, Matson, I think, is the one that will miss the most if he yeah. isn't playing. Um, I think he's been absolutely fantastic. I know in the reverse fixture he got sent off, had a bit of a paddy, and hopefully he's learnt from that situation. Um, and no more of that if he is playing on Saturday, please. Um, but I think he will be the one that we do miss the most if he's not if he's not playing. Um. He, like we say, he seems fine. He did put on Instagram pretty quickly after he got 
stretch it off that he was fine. So so the hope is that he is there. But if we're going to miss anyone, it, it will be him. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, Tom, are we fully expecting to return to a, a strike force of Ashley Barnes and, and Nathan Teller? Or do you think we might try and do something a little bit more tricky, given the opposition? Yeah, I think... Um... Especially given the fact that uh, that he rested Barnes and, and obviously Teller only got was it like 15, 20 minutes at the end. I think he probably even if Obafemi and Foster were knit, had done more in that game, I think he still would have said, "Well, pressure legs, let's play them." Um, you can't really drop Barnes and Teller the way they've been playing. Um, and like I said, I don't think Obafemi or Foster have uh, have made the case in that Fleetwood game that they should definitely be starting on Saturday. So, yeah, I'd expect it to to go back to that team, especially because I think. Uh, after the Blackpool game, we finally have a free midweek, thank God. So uh, there's, yes. there's perhaps not as much worry about them, uh, you know, picking up any injuries or anything like that. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Um, do you want to give me a, goal, a score prediction, please, Charlotte? Uh, well, I'm hoping that we can finish what we started in the reverse fixture and not let them uh, get three <laughs> goals past us. And I'm hoping it'll just finish at 3-0 to us. Gosh, doesn't that feel like a long time ago, that game? That was incredible. It certainly does. It was one of the most. When I look back on it, it's the most one of the most frustrating games from this season. So I really just want us to beat them and buy three 0 Yeah, I think as well. If we look back on that Blackpool game, the at least two of the goals were keeper errors as well. And it was back. It was very early on in the season when we hadn't quite given Murich the legendary status that he is now and the absolute baller of the championship. Um, we weren't used to keepers playing as sweepers we weren't used to playing out at the back and Burnley fans did what Burnley fans do best and panic and tell everybody to boot it up front up front and get back in your net and don't come off your line uh we've all changed I feel like we've all progressed since then Tom I feel like we're much more comfortable now where we are um I'm gonna go out on a limb here and say I don't I don't give Blackpool any hope of getting anything out of this game um do you agree and what's your score prediction yeah I think uh unless they have some sort of divine inspiration. It, you, you can only think it will be a, an away win. Um, uh, if I'm being really greedy, uh, we spoke about obviously the Huddersfield game. We three up at half time and then took our foot off the gas. Obviously with one eye on the midweek fixture, I'm hoping because we have got the midweek off. I'm hoping that if we can, if we if we run into a three 0 lead this time, we might keep the pressure on. Uh, the only team that we've put five passes so far this season was Wigan away, and that was a brilliant day out. So I'm going to be greedy and I'm going to say we're going to get another five-goal haul in this game. It's going to be a 5 nil win at Bloomfield Road. I love it. Well, my prediction... Actually, I, I could probably do another Brommers Bankers this week, actually. I haven't, I'm not yet in a position where I'm not allowed to give Brommers Bankers. So let's, do you know what? Let's be greedy and let's sneak one more in. I thought we were going to go out on a high last week with my correct prediction of the Huddersfield one. Um, I'm going to give you a prediction this week, which you may or may not want to choose as Brommers Bankers. Um... I'm going to go ridiculous. And I think this is the game where we absolutely come to fruition. I'm going to say 6-0. So there you go. Listeners, you know the drill by now. Do let us know what you think the score prediction will be. You can either leave a comment under this video. You can drop us a tweet at noneandever.net um, or you can leave a comment on our Facebook page. And before we move on now, we, of course, need to give you one final stat ahead of there. We've asked our resident statistician, Dave Roberts, to delve deep into those pockets of his and give us a miscellaneous stat of the week. There was a time not too long ago when Burnley struggled to score goals from substitutes. 
not so this season, we say. Connor Roberts' goal on Wednesday was the 14th time that a Burnley sub has scored during the 22-23 season. Late goals have also been an important part of Burnley's armoury during the current campaign. We've scored eight goals in the 90th minute of matches or in stoppage time. All eight have been at Turf Moor and all eight were at the B-all end. Substitutes also scored six of those eight goals. We don't have... Uh, oh, actually, I'm not sure whether we do have a, a Fantasy Premier League update. I'm going to leave a little slot here for you listeners, just in case um, we do have an FPL update for you. You can... Uh, listening here. So let's have a little gap for Matt's editing purposes. Adam here with your double Game Week 25 Fantasy Premier League update. Starting with your team of the week, uh, lining up in a 5-4-1 formation and would have scored you a season-high 177 points. Um, There's a bit of a theme to this and there's six Arsenal players uh, in the team of the week, starting in goal with Aaron Ramsdale, two clean sheets and one save point as uh, the Gunners beat Leicester and Everton 1-0 and 4-0 respectively. Uh, Zinchenko, Gabriel and White uh, form three of the back five, also getting the two clean sheets. Zinchenko getting one assist and three bonus. Gabriel just three bonus points and White one bonus point. Completing the defence are Van Dijk from Liverpool, two clean sheets, a goal and six bonus points in Liverpool's 0-0 draw at Palace and 2-0 victory against Wolves. And Junior Thurpo from Leeds with a clean sheet, a goal and all three bonus points in their side's crucial victory over Southampton last weekend. Into the midfield, more Arsenal players. Martinelli, star of the week. Three goals, six bonus points, 26 points. I think that's the highest we've had this season from any player uh, in Arsenal's uh, victories. Also joining him, Bakayo Saka, with a goal and assist and one bonus, getting 15 points for the game week. And also in midfield, Phil Foden came back to form. Uh, said he's, uh, he's back to full fitness, so becoming an FPL option again. Goal, assist, three bonus points in Man City's 4-1 victory over Bournemouth. They still can't keep a clean sheet, which has been very annoying for me and other Edison owners. And completing the midfield is John McGinn from Aston Villa. A very low-owned player, but got himself two assists and three bonus points in Villa's 2-0 victory away at Everton. Sean Dyche with plenty to do. And we had Chris Wood last week. This week, we've got Danny Ings as the lone striker uh, with two goals and three bonus points in West Ham's 4-0 home victory over Nottingham Forest. All them goals coming late in the day. Right now, an update on to the no-name-never league tables. Uh, the overall table first, uh, running down the top five, Steve Holden in fifth place, 1,645 points. Rob Watson in fourth place, uh, 1,649 points. Rupert Booth back into third, also 1,649 points. Alice Flanagan in second with 1,653 points. And leading the way, a nice 19-point cushion at the top now, still in the lead, Alex Maxwell. And uh, strangely enough, the top two in our known in Ever League both have the same team name, Two's Company. So maybe that's what's doing it. Uh, just to say that Alex's overall rank is 5,000, 5K out of 11 million players. So well done, Alex. Keep it up. 
And moving on to our known and ever February manager of the month, which has now been decided, ended up being very tight at the top after a very high scoring game week. In fifth, James Martin uh, with 345 points. Fourth, Megan Mooney with 348 points. And we've actually this month, uh, Claret's got three joint first winners who we're going to have to delve deep into our pockets and uh, get those No Name Never stickers out because you've all, all three of won one. So well done to Oscar Haw, Jack Burton and Stephen Grogan. If you want to get in touch with us to claim your prize, you can do so on Twitter, Facebook or email us at previewshow at never.net. Just a few notes now. Uh, this week's FA Cup results have had a major impact on the FPL schedule. With more shocks than ever before at this stage, we will now only have three blank games in game week 28. Uh, the sides affected, six teams, Manchester City, Fulham, Manchester United, Brighton, Liverpool and West Ham. There's normally five to seven blank games at this stage, but particularly the Spurs and Southampton exiting the Cup um, on Wednesday night make the next few weeks easier to navigate without needing to use a free hit. This has made many managers, including me, change their plan for the upcoming weeks. There's now a strong argument to wildcard in either this week, game week 26, or in game week 27, when you can load up on the teams in the upcoming doubles uh, and still navigate blank game week 28. Double game week 29 will also be the biggest Blank, uh, biggest sorry, double game week of the season. So it's a great opportunity to attack that with the bench boost chip if you still have it. Free hit can now probably be used later on in the season in either blank game week 32, which will probably only have two blank fixtures, or double game weeks 34 and 37, which is what I'm probably going to look to do. Watch out early next week when we will be releasing an FPL special episode. I will have a special guest with me to look in more detail on the best strategies to navigate the blanks and doubles in the coming game weeks. And although I call myself an expert, this guy really knows what he's talking about and will be sharing some of his top FPL tips. The next deadline is Saturday at 11am. Wishing you all green arrows in game week 26. Up the Clarets. There you go, listeners. I have no idea whether you had a fantasy Premier League update then or whether it's just back with my voice. But if you did, I hope you enjoyed it and I hope you are top of our Premier League uh, scoreboard. So let's leave you finally with a quiz question um, to test your Claret's knowledge. This week, we are leaving you with the following. Prior to this season, how many Burnley players have scored goals after coming on as a substitute during the current decade? I.e., we are looking for substitute goal scorers since New Year's Day 2020. Can you tell us how many have done that and can you give us some names? Two-part question. Let us know what you think. That's all we've got time for this week. That is our preview of Blackpool versus Burnley in the Championship this coming Saturday, the 4th of March. We are expecting a Clarets victory. We are expecting another charge towards an immediate return to the Premier League. But we've also got one eye on stopping Manchester City getting to Wembley. I've been Natalie Bromley. This has been the Known and Never football show and podcast. Until next time. The Known and Never podcast is brought to you in association with the Talk Sport Fan Network. Natalie Bromley is the host and editor and the show is produced by Matt Moss. Our resident statistician is Dave Roberts and our FPL expert is Adam Dennett. 
The Analysis Show team is collectively Tom Whitaker, Richard Steele, George Poole, Charlotte Rigby, Adam Dennett and Robbie Kopak. Our music is provided by George Gaskill and our newsletter team is headed up by Jamie Smith. If you don't already, you can subscribe to our newsletter by visiting nonadnever.substack.com. Our thanks as ever go to our partners TalkSport. We are as ever proud to be part of the TalkSport fan network. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.